This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly is starting right now. First, it's, well, what do you see? What do you think? What would you like to do? What, what, what would you like to do means you still need to get my permission to do it. But then when you say, I intend to, that means all you need to do is not get enough. Hi, welcome to Ian Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe. And today we're interviewing David Marquet, the author of Turn the Ship Around. If you remember, in episode 37, we had David Don talking about transforming leadership through the idea of I intend. And that was really a unique and at the same time, revolutionary way of thinking about command structures in the armed forces, specifically a Navy submarine, which is a very top-down command structure. And the concept of I intend, which means that I'm gonna go ask the question, or not even ask a question, I'm gonna go tell the commander what I'm gonna do. And if he doesn't tell me no, that's what's gonna happen. And so this workbook that he has out is a great companion for the book, Turn the Ship Around. Uh, the workbook also has a section there from the chief. And for those of you that do not understand what the role of a chief is in the Navy, basically it's the middle management. For those of us in law enforcement and fire and EMS, I suppose, it would be your uh, section captain or your sergeant uh, watch commander, maybe. You know, the chief is that rank where they run if you've always heard this term, to the backbone of the Navy. They actually run the Navy. And so to get the perspective of the chief in this uh, workbook, I think was a really brilliant move by uh, David Marquet. In the Ask Todd section, we were having a discussion in the group regarding the five phases of emergency management. That's mitigation, prevention, preparedness, response, and recovery. And understanding that prevention was added in 2007. It was kind of an interesting conversation regarding what do each section, you know, what do they really do? And then the idea where is training and exercises put in? Is it put in the prevention section or in the preparedness section? And uh, the answer to that, I guess, could be yes. Depends on which way you look at it. Um, But that was kind of the, the conversation that was going on there. So if you're interested in joining the conversation, go to the Facebook group, join up, and you can uh, have that conversation with us over there. So looking forward to seeing you. So let's not wait any longer, and let's get into it with David Marquet with Turn the Ship Around, the workbook. David, welcome back to EM Weekly. Yeah, thanks, Todd, for having me on the EM Weekly show. So David, you, you created this workbook. What was that process for you, and why did you decide to do a workbook? Well, we've been out since the Turn the Ship Around came out. We've been out talking to organizations about uh, how to do the kind of thing that we did on the submarine in their own organizations. And, of course, we've had a lot of interest and enthusiasm from law enforcement, first responders, police forces, and as well as other industries. And we wanted to do something that was very accessible, allowed leaders and teams who just kind of wanted to do it on their own and just give them everything uh, that we were thinking and the kind of activities that we do in workshops when corporations hire us to come out. Because a lot of times what we find is that the St. Cloud, for example, St. Cloud Police Department and, and Fire Service isn't going to have the same kind of budget as 
Twitter or Facebook or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, sadly. But so here's the idea. So we took the book, we went chapter by chapter. So the workbook follows the book, the chapters in the book. And we added some activities. And we also added a couple other things. We added a cheese perspective. So Andy Warshak, who was serving with me on the Santa Fe, and he was my head sonar chief, and they went on to be uh, the chief of the boat, wrote sections uh, throughout the workbook talking about kind of what it felt for him and the chiefs in the mid- in middle management. Aren't necessarily the provocateurs of this change, but almost the recipients. But obviously, they were clearly on board. But the whole, the tensions that some of which I didn't see inside the chief's quarters as we were going through this change is what he illuminates in his chief's perspective. And then the second thing that we added was we now have a, um, I'm getting smart. We have a research uh, PhD psychologist on staff now, and he's provided a number of research, links to research articles, and just some very quick snippets on re- uh, some of the recent research, which basically just shows why the things that we kind of just did intuitively and were lucky actually work from a sort of, a, you know, studying humans perspective. So that's what we wanted to make available as widely and broadly as possible and make it easy for people to do that. That's awesome. So, okay, so if I, here I am, I'm going to be, you know, I'm a trainer here and in whatever department, and I want to use this, this program, how could I implement this in a fairly you know, easy way to, to get it in front of everybody? So I buy your books, I have everybody read it first, and then I buy the textbook or the, the workbook and kind of work the workshop that way. Is that the best way to do this or what's yeah, your so, recommendation? Yeah. So the, when it comes to training, we're kind of in a fortunate position because people aren't calling us unless they've already basically decided they want to make some changes in their organization. And they want to implement it. But one of the really important first steps is for the team to talk about it and say, do we want to do this? I think that's step one. And it's a step that happened on the submarine where I went and had this sort of really brutal session with the chiefs where I said, do you guys really want to be in control and be responsible or, or do you want to just keep, you know, just doing what you're told? And I think absent that really honest conversation, you can waste a lot of time because Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to be implementing a program where people need to be making decisions and taking them, giving them control to make decisions. And you can't do it in a top-down way. It's sort of, you know, internally inconsistent and it falls apart, right? You can't order people to be empowered. So we, we generally see organizations starting with the book and maybe the What is Leadership video. They need to know enough to decide whether or not they want to engage in a cultural and leadership transformation. Then when they say, okay, we're in, then I would recommend getting a workbook as a companion and almost doing like a book club. There's a mm-hmm. lot of material in the work. It's like, I think of it like a textbook. It's something you want to probably spread out over a whole semester and do a chapter every week kind of thing. And they're, I think they're 26 chapters. So it might take you half a year to get through it, but that's fine. You want that sort of do a, a little, I call it like drip irrigation. Just do a little bit every week, maybe at your weekly meetings. Don't make a big burden. Don't add a whole bunch of extra, you know, training. Just do a little bit and then practice it. Do a little bit of practice, a little bit of practice. And you don't need to go from, you know, page one to page 197. You can, you can skip around and grab the things that you think are more relevant for your team. So that's how I would think about it. The other thing, sorry, I forgot one thing. On the workbook, 
I also talk about the leader's journey, which is something that I kind of talk about it in the book, but I don't really lay it out as a framework. And the leader's journey, so in the workbook, I sort of reveal the leader's journey. In other words, what was going on in my mind as I thought about leadership? And basically, the leader's journey is a transition from being a knowing and telling leader to be a knowing but not telling leader. In other words, know the answers, but you decide whether you want to tell the team what to do or not. In the middle mm-hmm. of a crisis, you're responding, yeah, hey, we're not going to, you know, I, I just need to tell you what to do. But you're in planning, you're deciding what new truck to buy or, what, or what's going to be on the truck, what's the configuration. Now you have time. In those cases, don't be, be knowing, but don't be telling. That's kind of a, a really different a change in that kind of idea here, especially in the paramilitary organizations like fire and police, where, you know, the rank structure is, is sort of important to them to be able to go into the, to allow that to occur where people uh, are, are a part of the decision-making process, I guess. And one of the things I, I really love about this whole concept with the turn to ship around, and in chapter seven of the workbook, it's, it's laid out there, it's achieve excellence, don't just avoid errors. And yeah. the other day I put this up in our briefing room on our, on our whiteboard. I wrote it in, in large letters here, achieve excellence, don't just avoid errors. And I think that this, at the end of the day, this whole process with the book and the workbook, I think that's where we end up. That's our goal, right? Is to, is having everybody not just avoiding errors, but to achieve excellence in their workspace. Does, do you, do you agree with that? Is that what your, your yeah, end goal exactly. is? I mean, there's a couple of ways to think about it. If if all you're trying to do is avoid errors, and this kind of can creep in subtly in an organization, it creeps into organizations where we have a lot of of high reliability, high risk work. So we say, well, we don't want to get somebody killed. We don't want to mishandle a patient. We don't want to cross contaminate samples. I mean, there's you know, we don't want to. You know, risk lives, fighting a fire, this kind of thing. But what happens is in your brain, all you're doing is playing defense, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way you can win is just not let any goals through, which at the end of the day isn't all that satisfying. Mm-hmm. And from a work perspective, kind of pushes the organization, in my mind, into sort of this paralysis and this bias for you know, waiting to be told what to do and do as little as possible. Don't make any, don't take risk and make decisions. And I want, I, you know, I think it's more fun to play offense and win and score goals. And yeah, every once in a while you're going to have an interception and maybe they even score on you and then you can learn from that. But when people come to work, the picture in their mind is I want them to be out there, you know, striving for an outcome. Because if you're just trying to see, I'll give you a very simple example, right? Don't run with scissors versus walk with scissors. You know, if you say don't run with scissors, I can see people say, well, I'm skipping with scissors or I'm swimming with scissors. I'm not running. (laughs) I'm jogging with scissors. Okay. So when you say don't do something, first of all, that's what's in their heads. And secondly, there's a lot of ways you cannot do something. But if you say walk with scissors, then it's described in a positive way. That's just a little tiny piece. But at a bigger level, we want to be striving for excellence because that's going to make us happy. And that's going to create a bias for achievement and making decisions and a bias for action. And you can make mistakes and still be amazing. 
sometimes I think you, it's not terrible to say it this way, but sometimes I think when you make those minor mistakes, you, you learn more about yourself than you do if you, you know, everything is always right, you know, perfect. So, yeah. Quote I saw the other day, something like, nothing sets you up for failure like success or something like that. <laughs> how, bad, how bad it is as a teacher. Yeah. I've heard that. I read it before, too. What I noticed about the workbook, and, and even I mean, more so the workbook, is that if you as an organization decide to do this, you have to really be open for some constructive criticism, some really good organizational soul searching, if you will, because there's there's some points in here where you're asking your employees to really take a look at the processes and the leadership and put their true opinions down here. Does the, do you think that scares people off from moving forward in this, you know, organizations? I, I think it's very scary for a lot of people to get feedback and to invite feedback. We have this line of leadership training that's about how to give constructive feedback or give feedback in a way that people don't get defensive. And I'm not really sure that's the right approach. I really would rather work on asking for feedback. In other words, like, don't get better at giving unsolicited feedback. Create a team that's asking for feedback and wants to learn and wants to get better. Uh, a really important book in this area is called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and she talks about the importance of a growth mindset. And I can tell you that when it came to big inspections and some really critical events, when I shifted from, I call it shifting from approve to improve mindset, approve to improve. So instead of proving that we were good, I simply, we would do whatever it was the inspectors wanted us to do. But the mindset was, how can we learn and get better for the next time? It does this weird thing to your brain where it takes a lot of the stress away because you're not trying to justify your existence. And you're not really so focused on the score, but you're really focused on what can you learn and get better. And the first time you do it, it may seem like, well, we could have got a better score if we just focused on getting really, really good this one time. But in the long run, the organization will be better served and you'll all be better if you shift to an improved mindset versus approved mindset. So one of the things you talk about is the short, early conversations make efficient work. And I was kind of going through that portion of the the workbook, and it's really kind of interesting. Can you expand upon that a little bit and, and tell everybody what you're really getting through with that one? Yeah, so both the leader and the team are guilty of bad behavior here when I, that I normally see. The leader is very busy, and so sometimes, you know, this is worse in corporations, I think, than first responders. But, you know, sometimes the leader is protected by walls of admin assistance, and you got to get on the schedule, and it's hard to do that, and they're behind glass doors and that kind of thing. And so when we finally have time with the leader, we want to, or the boss, we want to show a very finished product. All we we want is a sign-off. The result of this is that the team churns and churns and churns and churns, but maybe is working on the wrong thing. So the work is perfect, but just totally irrelevant. And the same thing from the team side is it's they want to do good. They want the boss to say, oh, look, that's perfect. Let me just sign off. We're done. And I would try and resist that tendency and say, look, first of all, don't be a slave to like 30-minute calendar blocks. 
we, you could do something like, hey, here's a 30-minute calendar block. The first 10 people that line up outside my office get three minutes with me. You got three minutes, just pop in. Here's what I'm working on. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. Give us some criteria. Just give us a blink check. Boom, and you're out. And that makes people really efficient when they know they only have three minutes. But it's that course correction. It's a much earlier course correction than waiting to the last minute and finding out your way off course. So the the picture that's coming to my mind right now, Todd, is an open water swimming. You know, they have some big orange buoy that's 500 yards away and you're trying to aim for it. Now, good swimmers can swim in a straight line, but for a guy like me, I tend to go wiggle, go off course. So I got to raise my head up. You're going faster with your head down, right? You're in a line position, you're swimming. But then every once in a while, you got to raise your head up and sight the buoy and then do a course correct. So you don't want to be raising your head up, sighting the buoy all the time. You never go anywhere. But on the other hand, you can't just swim for 20 minutes and then stick your head up and realize you're, you know, you're swimming at a 45 degree angle to the course. So that's kind of how I think about it. It's just like quick pop my head up where I'm okay. Check. There I am going back. And so both the team, the team needs to overcome the resistance to uh, showing the leader an incomplete project and the leader needs to overcome resistance to sort of demand quote fully completed work all the time the team needs to be aiming for fully completed work but i found it just really saved us billions of hours and it was very respectful for the team because they felt like there's no one wants to say oh i worked on this all week and it turned out you know we put in the trash can Well, this, this, this kind of leads into chapter 12. When you say return the problem unsolved, is that you saying as a leader, you take a look at it, you see the issue, instead of fixing it yourself, you put it back down to the lowest level to fix it? Is that what you discuss in this portion? Or you know, is that, yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it, at least. The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. The modern emergency manager wears lots of hats. So how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It's just a matter of time. And how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. Pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises are what they offer. Spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations, and more. Exercises come from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jump start on your exercise program today and visit TTX Vault at www.ttxvault.com. Well, this, this, this kind of leads into chapter 12. When you say return the problem unsolved, is that you saying as a leader, you take a look at it, you see the issue, instead of fixing it yourself, you put it back down to the lowest level to fix it? Is that what you discuss in this portion? Or you know, is that yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it at least? Yeah, so the idea is. The, your team brings you a problem. You, you think you know the answer. You've seen it before. Now, the fast thing to do is always just to give them the answer and they go back. But what you're doing then is you're kind of, you're doing a number of things which are 
detriment on the long term. One, you're poaching their ownership because you you own their job if you're the one who's telling them what to do. Number two, you're not developing their thinking and decision making and leadership skills. And number three, you're basically training them to be dependent on you. And so what happens is you're just in that every day. Next week, you'll have the same and next month, next year and next decade. And that's where you're at. So there's really sort of this stasis and there's not really a lot of improvement versus if you say, and these don't need to be big chunks of time, you know, go away, you know, go talk to somebody else, come back in 30 minutes, you know, talk, come back in, in half a day, come back tomorrow. And you can provide some hints. A lot of times all I do is just get a second opinion. I, hey, can you just, just bounce this off of somebody else and then come when you come back, let me know what you guys think. And I would just try to incrementally move people from, hey, what do you want me to do here to what, you know, what do I, to, to just the very first step off of that bottom rung is description. Okay, tell me about what's going on and get them to start talking about what the situation is as they see it. Be curious and ask questions. And then at some point say, so what do you think? If you were me, what would you do? You know, what do you think I should do at this point? And they'll probably tell you and then say, okay, great. Go do that. Why don't you go do that? So that goes back to the the concept of the uh, I intend to sort of thing and sort of solidifies that, right? Exactly. So that's a little bit higher up the ladder. So first it's, well, what do you see? What do you think? What would you like to do? What, what what would you like to do means you still need to get my permission to do it. But then when you say I intend to, that means all you need to do is not get a no. Hey, I, this is what we intend to do. We intend to run the following training, blah, blah, blah. We intend to you know collaborate with the next town over. Okay. Unless I say no, you're off the races. You're doing it. Team's mm-hmm. doing it. And so that eliminates all this dead time, waiting time, waiting for approval time. That's really kind of a... That's really kind of cool in the aspect that you're allowing the people who you trust because that's what happens, right? You're good. the guys that are working for you. You should bring me a gal. You're going to hire people that you trust, and you're showing them that you trust them by by letting them do what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that's a that makes everybody feel much better about their work, and I think that increases everybody's work productivity productivity as well, right? Yeah, I think because the productivity. So we what we've done is we focused. In terms of productivity, we've done a really great job of the last 100 years in focusing on the production part of productivity. Okay, once I decide to do something, we've eked out a lot of the inefficiencies, but we haven't done such a good job in looking at the decision side of productivity. In other words, well, if, I'm, if I took a six-hour job and I've made it so efficient that I can do it in four hours, but it took me 12 hours to decide to do it, it's still not very efficient. So that's kind of what I see organizations at. They got really uh, efficient at the six, uh, six, moving six to four, but we're all still waiting around. And that's, you know, so how about we move, go from, you know, 12 down to six in terms of the decision side or 12 to two on the decision side. That's going to be a much bigger impact than eking out another 30 minutes of efficiency in the job itself. One thing I love about this book, the book and also the, the workbook here, which goes along with it, is your the idea here is you're going to give people tools, your your staff, your tool, tools to be more competent in what they do. And what I mean by that, it's not that they're incompetent, but as you say, like the core competencies for their job. And in part three of your of your workbook here, it has the mechanisms for for competence, and it really digs you step by step. And you know, the chapter sixteen in the workbook is deliberate action. 
And I really like that. So can you talk a little bit about what you meant or what you mean by the deliberate action and how that works in public safety? Yeah, so we had a problem where a sailor shut a breaker that had a red tag on it that he wasn't supposed to shut. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it was a violation of a safety procedure. And it was kind of a big deal. And I talked to him. We did a big sort of formal investigation, and it was all scary. And he was sitting down at the end of the table. And he he was very honest. And he just said, look, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. I knew that was the next step to do. And it's not like I was, you know, the tag was there. It was clearly visible, hadn't fallen off, you know, no excuses. Just, hey, I wasn't thinking. I just shut the brake. And so rather than punishing him, we wanted to come up with a way of injecting thinking because he gave us the answer. You know, we all have had that sense where I'm just going through the motions or I'm executing a procedure. And then all of a sudden I've gone too far or something has changed and we've done a wrong step. And executing the procedure better is not going to save us. So we need to make a just quick momentary pause and think to ourselves, okay, am I still on track? And that's what this deliberate action meant. So I'd reach out for, I put my hand on a pump switch. And before I turned the pump on, I would say it, you know, activating number one fire pump or, you know, in our case, reactor coolant pump, shifting one number one reactor coolant pump to fast. And then I would pause. And when I say it and I put my hand on it, then the person next to me could look over and make sure I had my hand on number one, not on number two by accident. And that mm-hmm. starting number one was the right thing to do. And to let the team give each other backup. We talk about team backup, but there was no mechanism for backup. We just say, yeah, back each other up. But if you're just doing things really fast, I can say, oh, that thing you just did was the wrong thing to do. That's not backup. That's like after we crashed, we, I figured that out. So instead, inject the pause in the middle of the action, which allows the backup mechanism to take place. Otherwise, you end up making these little mistakes which can be pretty costly. I lecture on the normalcy bias and how that can lead to poor, you know, poor planning and then poor, re- poor response and then poor recovery. So there's like this whole thing. And I think this is a really good way of breaking that normalcy bias, if you will, going, yeah, I'm going to de- deliberately act on this. It's not something that, you know, we've all suffered from it. You know, people call it like driving by habit. Like if you normally go to work every morning and, you go, but it's a Saturday and you get up and you actually go start going towards work because you're not thinking. That's what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I actually, I was driving home two days ago. I actually drove past my house. <laughs> 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 like my head, I was just, I was just an auto. And I was just like, you know, I was off, off in the clouds in my head. And I was like, oh, crap. And I was like, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, we've all been there. Oh. So the other thing here, now moving on with the with the workbook, I love this chapter 18. Don't brief clarify. And that's where we yeah. fall into some some really, you know, we love briefings, right? And in, in the yeah. military and, and law enforcement and fire stand up in front and everybody kind of runs their, their mouth about what's going on. What do you mean by don't brief clarify? So we were really good at briefing and everyone in the Navy said, you got to do a brief. You're going to load a torpedo, say, for example, you get the team together, you tell them what to do. Here's the, you know, look out for this, watch out for that. It's very passive for 99% of the group. You know, only the person talking really is, you know, they're, they're excited to hear themselves talk, but nobody else. And so we said, look, no more briefing. Well, and well, first we said, 
look, you can do these briefings, but I want you to do them differently. I want you to ask the team to tell you what they're going to do. So we're going to flip it. So the team basically needs to prove that they're ready to do the load to torpedo load. And then you as the person in charge has to make a decision. Did the team pass the final exam? Are we ready? And are we going to go do it? But we kept the same word briefing. Uh, but what happened was, uh, you talked about normalcy bias. Well, you know, what we happened was we have regression to the mean. In other words, since we were still using the same word briefing, it just migrated back to the normal, stand in front and tell people what to do. So I said, okay, we need a different word because this is fundamentally a different thing. So that's why we got to the word certification. So we said, this is a certification. This is the team demonstrating that they are ready to do it. Because I wanted more attention and time spent on, not on, okay, we're loading the torpedo, house step seven, house step eight, house step nine going to happen. I wanted more attention on, are we ready to load the torpedo? Is the team ready? Looking in each other's eyes, everyone's alert. We have all the tools. Are we ready to start? I wanted more focus on that decision and then let the procedure play out. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. So in, in Chapter 20, you talk about specifying goals, not methods. And one of the things in, in the emergency management side of, of response, especially on large-scale events, as we talk about our objective goals and objectives for that operational period. And so we're really you know, into making the SMART goals, that type of stuff. But sometimes I'm not sure if that really translates back down into the field. Can you talk a little bit about what you intend here with the specific with this chapter on goals and not methods? Yeah. So first off, your some of your goals should be production goals, like we're going to you know, achieve some response rate, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some time, you know, we're going to make it, we're going to get to 95% of all incidents within five minutes or something. So there's like, there are these production oriented goals, but I'd also encourage organizations to have learning oriented goals. So, and here's what we're going to learn. We're going to understand, you know, what parts of town are, you know, we're going to, you know, I don't know how to how to do more with big data and under you know be more predictive about these things. Gotcha. Anyway, so always have learning goals in addition to production goals. But the idea is here is agree on the goal and then try and release the details down to the team. So say, okay, if we're going to do this, if we're going to make it to every, if we're going to make it to ninety five percent of all calls within five minutes on site, how are we going to achieve that? And let the team noodle on that. But it's okay to set goals. For example, one of my clients was is a big um, diesel engine maker. And uh, what they were doing was they're developing diesel engines. So a lot of times these engines in development process blow up, <laughs> right? And so they have these big tests, you know, these rooms where they're testing these engines. But the problem was people would have to go into the rooms every hour and take logs on the engine. And sometimes some of these rooms were like manned and guys would be sitting. It's like the x-ray thing. You know, the guy's sitting behind a, you know, a barrier. So if the engine starts to, starts to go, they can shut it down. They're hopefully protected. But it was inherently dangerous to have people inside these, these test cells. So the leader said, look, we got, you got 12 months. I want to figure out how we can have no... Nobody inside any of these, never a need to go inside a test cell. And initially it was like, well, it can't be done. Of course, you know, we've done, you know, we've gone inside the test cells for a hundred years, blah, blah, blah. 
And the leader was very firm on this on this goal. And the team said, well, you know, actually what we can do is we can put in some cameras and we can add some sensing. And they did, you know, a bunch of clever stuff. And the bottom line was they were able to able to meet the goal. And one, you know, one of the hardest things was when the sometimes there's leaks in the exhaust or they don't know where the gas is coming from. And so in the old way, you kind of go in there with a sniffer and it's like, well, how can we do that? So anyway, they had to, the team had to get clever. But the idea was if the leader had all the ideas, we would, all, we would have been limited to the leader's ideas. In the meantime, there's a team of a thousand people doing this. And they came up with many more clever ideas and cheaper than what, you know, if it all rested on the leader. And then they own it. They felt good. They were celebrating together. Celebrate with. That's cool. That is really cool. It is, and it is important to have um, that that collaborative relationship with everybody who's working because otherwise you become, for lack of a better term, kind of a drone, right? That's exactly what you are. A drone <laughs> and you'll be replaced by a drone. Yes. So, okay. So everybody who's listening to this show today, they say, you know what? This sounds like a great plan. I'd love to get the, the start, getting the book and getting the, the workbook. Now, how, you know, the question comes up, how do I implement this? And when I start doing the training, is there any other resources that I can use to help with facilitate a classroom training with this work? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, have a series of what we call leadership nudges. There's a YouTube channel, Leadership Nudges is the name of the channel. And you go there. We've been doing this once a week for almost four years now. So we have about 190, 180, 190 on the channel at this point. And in there, there's a playlist that goes along with the workbook, sort of like it lays these nudges out in the sequence that sort of correlates to the workbook, you know, as if you were going through the workbook chapter by chapter. But there's a whole bunch of other nudges out there. And we have a lot of teams who subscribe to these nudges and they get them every every Wednesday. We send an email with a new nudge and they go and they use these nudges. So if you want to pick a topic, so like one of the things I talk about is this leader's journey being a knowing but not telling leader. Well, there's a nudge on that. You, you know, it's typically 60 to 90 seconds. It's very quick, but it's me talking about that I certified don't breathe. There's a nudge on that. Delivered action. There's a nudge on that. So the nudges are really, I, I think, a very good and useful resource. And we have about, we have over 25,000 people getting them every Wednesday. And uh, they, they like the feedback I get is people like them because they're very quick. It's 60 seconds and it's just pure content. It's just a reminder. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Cool. So how would somebody get a hold of one of these uh, workbooks if they wanted to or if they want to buy? I would say more than one if they wanted to buy a group of them. Is there a way to get a hold of you guys or is it just through a through Amazon or how does it work? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you can buy small batches. If you want to buy a bunch, go to Book Pile, Book hyphen Pal. They're out there in California. And there are uh, that's where we send people who want to buy whole if you want, if you're looking at twenty five or more, you go to Book Pal. They give you a pretty good discount, include shipping, and they're the ones when when I want to buy my book, they're the ones like we go to. <laughs> so go, to awesome. go to Book Pal. And again, if you do get it and you enjoy it, please leave a review on Amazon that helps us spread the word and helps, or, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, whatever, whatever your favorite book site is, it helps us spread the word and uh, build more leaders like you who want to make the world a better place. That's awesome, David. Thank you so much for your time today. And is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before you let you go? What you all do is very hard. It's very important. 
It's about other people. There's purpose. There's a purpose inherent in what you do. And thank you for that. Thank you. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com.